What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Com Chatter. Uh, we're not going to play Star Wars Squadrons today. We're just going to be in the briefing room, but I do have my very first actual pilot on the show. Today joining me is Paul Sunhyung Lee, who plays Carson Teva in The Mandalorian and is a huge Star Wars fan. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I, I am thrilled to have uh, a pilot with me here in the briefing room today uh, and, and just hearing how much of a Star Wars fan you are these past few months uh, has been so much fun and I, I just knew that we had to talk especially we're going to talk about Biggs a little yeah. later but uh, he is genuinely my favorite character in Star Wars and uh, so everyone was tagging me uh, <laughs> when you were telling that story about his helmet yeah but I, I really want to get to know you and uh, your Star Wars fandom to kick things off. So uh, what was your introduction to Star Wars like? I was five years old and it was the first movie my dad took my sister and I to see in the movie theaters. I'd never been in the theaters before and, um, you know, I had no idea what to expect. And that was it. I mean, yeah, I, watching that as a, as a five-year-old just totally blew my, my world. And, uh, you know, it's been a part of me ever since. Um, I, I have vivid recollections of, of just sitting in 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 the theater seats and just being blown away blown away by the spectacle and then just trying to recreate every moment that i saw on you know on, on the screen with friends at different day camps or at school and uh, i i remember uh we were part of a summer camp and all the kids were playing we were reenacting the, the 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 very opening of the of the movie when the, the the stormtroopers are storming the tent of four and we had a group of kids, the unpopular kids were the rebel soldiers who were, who were trying to hold the hallway and the cool kids were uh, the stormtroopers and the, the main cool kid was Darth Vader. Uh, but it was really, really, it, it was one of those things that just leaves an indelible mark on your, on you when you, when you watch it at that age. And that was, that was me. That was it right there. And I always say that star Wars for me has been like uh road marks. Uh, on my my journey to to uh, adolescence because my dad took my sister and I to see it when I was five years old. Then my babysitter took my sister and I to see Empire Strikes Back uh, without my parents. And then my sister and I were old enough to see Return of the Jedi on her own. And so my sister's been with me every step of that Star Wars journey uh, up until the prequels, obviously. But it was, those are those are definite markers in my life. Uh, every three years, we we <laughs> take that next step uh, into independence and stuff. So. Um, and the experiences were so different too. Uh, I was at five years old, completely unaware of the rest of the audience. Um, when I was uh, watching, when I was eight, uh, watching Empire Strikes Back with my babysitter, I became very aware of the lineups that we had to wait in to get inside the theater and, and how popular it was. And then for Return of the Jedi, I just remember it being so loud in the movie theater. People were shrieking. It was like being at a rock concert. You know, whenever um, a character showed up, people would just erupt and just pure out joy. Um, and it was just an unbelievable feeling when you're, you know, 11 years old with your sister. You're out at the movies away from on your own. And it's like being at a rock concert. Like everybody just got swept up in the moment. And so it, it's no wonder that, that Star Wars has, has stuck with me and has been such a big part of my, of my life. Well, I mean, I love just the the very beginning of that story about how even the, the popular kids and the unpopular kids were all unified and playing Star Wars together. Like, that's so cool. Yeah. Uh, do, do you have a specific memory from A New Hope that just really, your, your, a favorite scene or something that just grabbed you and like, you were like, this is it? You know, I've watched it so many times over the years. 
And it, it's hard to just sort of pinpoint one precise moment. But I guess, I mean, really, um, it's what sticks with me. The image that sticks with me is the Death Star, the, the trench run. And I know it's modeled after the, the movie, The Dam Busters. Um, and and they, they, they really sort of mimic the, the bombing runs that the Allied forces were making on it. But it's just, there's something about the, the kinetic motion of, of the way the, the, the starfighters, uh, the X-Wings are, are swooping in. Um, the, the score of John Williams, this, the, v, the VFX, that you just get swept up in this epic battle for survival. And like, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it right now. Me too. Uh, yeah. So that, that for me was just like, they're on a clock. They're these snub-nosed fighters against this mammoth uh, space station, and they're doing everything they can. And it's just, it was just so exhilarating. And then he, there you have Luke Skywalker, farm boy, thrown into a into the cockpit of a of an X-wing fighter for the first time in his life, and he's in it. He's doing all the things that he, he kind of wanted to do. Um, yeah, that that for me was just so moving. And you have you suffer tremendous losses as well, right? Bigs, everybody's getting blown away. You lose gold leader, you lose red, lose red leader. You think it's all done. And then Han Solo flies in with Millennium Falcon. And it's just like, it was beautiful. It's beautiful. So that, that moment I think was for me, something that, that has always sort of stuck with me. That that's my exact favorite scene from that movie as well. And it's a new hope is my favorite star Wars movie, but yeah, the trench run, like I, I watched that, scene if not the entire movie like every day for a summer when my parents first showed it to me and every day my dad would come home to work and it'd be at the trench run he'd be like rebels winning again like yeah they sure are i i love pilots and uh the trench run is a big reason for it yeah uh do you have a favorite star wars story maybe not necessarily a movie but uh out of everything that's ever been told is there something that uh is kind of your gold standard when you talk about uh, in what context, I guess, like a, uh, on a set story that I heard or a personal story or oh, like uh, the, a movie or a book, like an actual Star Wars story. Oh, um, you know, it's 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 so interesting because I remember uh, getting into the Timothy Zahn Air of the Empire series afterwards. Like I didn't even know that they had been released. Uh, it, it, a roommate of mine was like, have you like have you read, read this trilogy? And he says it took place after Return of the Jedi. I said, no. And I gobbled them up. Like, I just consumed them, hardlined them. And it was just, he got the tone so right. And it was such a beautiful way to continue the story while staying true to the characters. Um, and it, it sounded legit. Uh, and I love the new characters they introduced. Obviously, that was the, the first introduction of Grand Admiral Thrawn. Um, I, I love the whole idea of having to work with the, the bounty hunters, uh, again, to, to sort of cobble together a, a space fleet. Um, so that there is that that whole idea that okay there, there, there's more because the expanded universe for a while I wasn't really as interested in just because um, it, it just felt so peripheral to it. I did enjoy Rogue Squadron though that whole series of books right there like that that was really cool and following Wedge Antilles and and the formation of that. We're um, becoming best friends. I hope you know that. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, and so so there was that, and then I, I think really uh the excitement of the prequels coming coming out i think really sort of uh was one of those moments in my life where i thought you know because you think oh they're done they're finished they're not going to do any more star wars and then all of a sudden it's like oh no they're doing the prequels they're, they're telling the story before episodes four five and six and you're like what and, and so you're just 
you start the Jones. You know, there's no re there's no wonder that people lined up for like a month before the movie theaters even started. Uh, that became a cultural event, which I I thought was fantastic because it really did capture the imagination of a lot of fans, and it reignited that passion. Now the movies themselves, you know, hit or miss depending on how old you are when you watch them. I know a lot of younger people that was their Star Wars. They grew up with that, and they have a lot of affection towards it, and that's awesome. Um, for me, myself, I was just so happy to see Star Wars again on the big screen. Uh, and, um, you know, those those kinds of stories, uh, it really did open up the whole possibility of um, a life outside of the main three, mm. you know. And, and I, I kind of like that continuation of it. And you have the, where they're trying to discover the different iterations now and which combinations work. I mean, Mandalorian is the, the first one, sort of the gold star that kind of like, seems to have gotten it all right in terms of the storytelling in terms of the, the place in the universe um the expansion of that universe and and the, the the folding in of some of the expanded universe stories that have been out there and haven't been considered canon and are now being sort of brought in and, and slightly reworked and retconned in a, sure. in a way but they're there which is great because why get rid of such a vast resource of, of great characters and stories that a lot of fans know about uh, the hardcore fans at least you know um, so there's that. And then for me too, uh, I think Rogue One was stunning just because it sort of gave the idea that it, there, it was a galactic conflict, that it was more than just that our merry band of heroes. That was just the sort of the focal point. There was so much more to what was going on and the stakes were so much higher and it just seemed a little bit more real in that sense it wasn't a swashbuckling adventure it kind of was but really it, it was this whole idea of the rebellion being bigger than it and more tenuous than it actually seemed to be in episodes you know uh, four mm. five and six it, you looked at it and like half of them didn't want to fight right <laughs> They're like are you kidding we gotta run this is this is time to hide um and i love that idea the fact that they did not have their shit together they they were all squabbling within each other amongst each other um, and of course, you know, when they, when they started that, the, the battle over Scarif and the rebel fleet jumped in, I got goosebumps again because you have the, the, the folding in footage, unused footage from, from Star Wars and you yeah. hope. And then, you know, they introduced Gold Squadron, Red Squadron. And I, I almost died. Like I was crying seeing those, mo you know, seeing the actors and the ships fly in. And again, there was there's some fantastic um vfx stuff being done but uh, the storytelling in the battle alone was tremendous as well so i, I you know it, it was kind of like they took my favorite one of star wars and they they expanded it and they did a little another little side campaign to sort of keep me happy i totally agree <laughs> uh i like i want to i'm gonna save it for later we're gonna talk about like rogue squadrons the the, the movie coming out because <laughs> uh oh my god but um do you do you have a favorite background character like everyone always talks about you know your your luke's your hans the yeah. the the big characters of each trilogy but do you have anyone that you feel like you might be the biggest fan of this character someone that's more like a a b or a c tier yeah you know <clears throat> it's it's interesting there on, on both sides there, there's kind of a couple uh wedge antilles is is one of my favorite ones just because um you know he's the only one to sort of survive all three movies and uh, other than the, the the main three, which is great, um, and, and they expand on him a little bit in the in the uh, the expanded universe stuff. Um, I, is it is it Air of the Empire? Is it Rogue Squadron? Where uh, one of the pilots 
he notices that he's got a patch and the patch has a dot on it, which means he survived the Death Star trench run and whatnot. And I kind of, I love that, that layering in of reality, because I think a lot of military patches, they, they have that note that a distinction as well. If, if you've served in certain places that your, your badge is just a little bit more different to signify um, the campaigns you've, you've taken part of. Um, so wedge is one of them. Uh, excuse me. Phlegm, not COVID. Uh, on the Imperial side, I always got a kick out of, out of uh, Captain Piet and how he got promoted to Admiral. And how he was just like, oh, you know, he's just kind of thrust in the moment because he's a competent bridge officer who basically wants to warn Admiral Ozzel that, hey, you know, th- there's something that's going on over here. And I think maybe we should, we should check it out because there's not supposed to be any life forms on Hoth. And Ozzel's like, no, no, he's all... He's, he's your standard sort of admiral who thinks he knows it all, and his overconfidence is his undoing. And when Vader takes him out, and Piet's just standing there trying to <laughs> go down, and then Vader just says, you know, don't fail me, admiral. He makes the jump from captain to admiral like that um, was, for me, kind of like, oh, that was, that was really kind of scary, but cool. And he makes it to Return of the Jedi, and like he's in command of the, the, the lead Star Destroyer, and he gets taken out by that A-wing uh, pilot that makes the 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 suicide run on the bridge i i kind of like that storyline that that arc that whole arc and and to a lesser extent uh general veers to his you know the assault on hoth and and there is that whole i think there's a deleted scene where he gets taken out by snow speeder but it, it, it's that debate because it wasn't actually shown did he actually survive and there's two ways of thinking about it but i just those little minor characters stick out uh for me as well and i think that's why i, I kind of you know, as, as much as I love the rebel forces too, the imperial forces, imperial forces are kind of cool in their own way because uh, they just look cooler. They've got the armor, they got the <laughs> uniforms, they got the newest toys. Um, but the rebels, they're 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 that plucky lot that just actually has the morals behind them and whatnot. And so there's so much to love about the Star Wars universe. Is basically what I'm saying. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's something that I I love asking that question because I do feel like. One of the best things about Star Wars is that almost everyone has a story. It's almost like bizarre to look on Wikipedia and be like, that character doesn't have a name. Like he had no lines, but he was there. And usually they have names at this point. But what what you said about uh, the costumes is a good segue into uh, you're you're a cosplayer. I am. Uh, how how did you start getting into that? And since you bring it up, which do you pref- what, what do you like cosplaying more, Imperial or Rebel? Ah. Okay, that's a great question. Um, I got into cosplay kind of by accident. Uh, I've been acting for a number of years, and for the longest time, I kind of hated Halloween just because it was like dressing up, and I dress up for a living type thing. Um, But it was always costumes that people made me wear. Uh, And it wasn't until I got kids that I really started to to embrace that again a bit more, and it became more fun. Um, Excuse me, dressing up my kids. And then what happened was... um, I, it all started with Ghostbusters cosplay, actually. It was the, the 35th anniversary of Ghostbusters. I was feeling old, and it was one of those things where I, I looked at it and I thought, I'd always wanted a proton pack. And so for whatever reason, I guess, you know, midlife crisis, call it whatever, instead of buying a motorcycle, I decided I wanted to build a proton pack. And so I set about trying to scratch build one out of foam corn Sintra. And uh, I got all these plans off of uh, GB fans. And that's when I really started to discover how, how deep the rabbit hole went. 
And I started looking at other cosplays and, and, and seeing, like, really, really seeing now. Because for the longest time, I just sort of noticed that there's a lot of anime cosplayers. And if you don't know the shows, you don't know the characters, it, 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 it kind of goes over your head. And you're like, oh, okay, that's a really cool costume. But the, the significance doesn't affect me the same way as if, for example, I see a couple of guys dressed up like secure, the security detachment on BSG. You're like, oh my god, okay, yeah, you guys look like legit hardcore. You looked like the deck crew on the Galactica, or or like the judges from Judge Dread. You look at that and you go, wow, okay, the level. Of- I can't believe you like Battlestar Galactica too. Oh man, I love Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Me oh. too. <laughs> okay, well, we're best friends. Did we become best friends? Yep. Yes. <laughs> um. So it, it's all that, and I just for me that really sort of went hand in hand with uh, cosplaying with with replica prop building. Because I wanted to get the proton pack to look just right. I wanted to look believable. And then that extended itself into the cosplay because I wanted the jumpsuit to look right. I wanted the patch to look correct. I wanted it, I, I wanted to look like I stepped off the screen. And that's when I started to discover, oh, I really started to enjoy that. And especially with the franchises that I loved, it became more of an obsessive hobby. Um, and once I finished with Ghostbusters and, and I, I pretty much did all that I, I wanted to do at that point. I kind of saw, I was at a, a charity function and I'd seen members of the 501st before over the years, but this was my first chance to get a really close up sort of view at them. And I went, I remember instead of going into the main banquet hall and having dinner, I hung out with the, a few of the, the, the troopers that were there and just asked them a billion questions about their costumes and how they built them and how comfortable they were and this and that. And so that got me started. And it was just sort of like a Trojan horse thing because I built two costumes for my, my kids. I built a, a stormtrooper and a shore trooper. I got the kits and I put them together and it was for them. Um, right. <laughs> I realized like I had so much fun doing it and they had these kick-ass costumes. I thought, well, why are they having all the fun? I want to wear my costume. And so that's, that's how I got started. Um, so the Imperial costumes, they look amazing. I love the armor, the look of it. Uh, building it is, is a challenge. Uh, There's just something about the structure to them that, that just people, when they see a stormtrooper, somebody dressed up like a stormtrooper or anybody with a helmet on, they're just, wow, if, it, if it's done well, there's a big wow factor that people really, really kind of love. And I love the idea of you can you can put on a helmet and, and be sort of anonymous, but still part of a, a big group. Um, the Rebel costumes are way more comfortable to wear. <laughs> I, I'll say that. Like the pilot costume, like the fact that I can sit down in it is tremendous. Um, you know, if you've got armor on, it's people know. You can't sit down in stormtrooper armor. You can't kneel down very easily. You get armor pinches, little pieces, two pieces of the armor will pinch very sensitive spots on your body, between your legs, behind your knees, <laughs> your elbows. There's always that tweaking, and it takes forever to sort of suit up and get get uh, you know disrobed with all that. Um, the rebel costumes. The one thing I love about them is they are very mobile. Um, all the costumes are hot. Everything like you put on a cost cosplay, anything from Star Wars. You're gonna be sweaty, um, but uh, you know it, it's it's that lovely, it's that lovely feeling of 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 when you know you've nailed it, and you go out in public and people see the costume, and you can see the the the, the joy in their eyes because you, they recognize you from where you're at. Like she's like, oh my god, you're from Star Wars. They might get the character wrong, 
they might go, oh my god, you're Darth Vader, and you go, no, no, I'm 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 actually a Tie pilot, but that's cool. Uh, you you recognize them from Star Wars. It, it's that whole from every age range. I've seen hardened construction workers who swear a blue mile stop and grin from ear to ear, uh, like a little kid when they when when they see you in costume. Uh, people honking their horns as they're driving by. It's it's just this wonderful feeling of knowing you've done your job right and you're you're making people happy and that's what i i really love about cosplay as well and the 501st they take that to the next level because they dress up for charities and so they'll they'll show up at events and that's the wow factor and people want to get their pictures taken with them and they raise money for children's hospitals and different charitable um organizations and it's like yeah it's the best of both worlds you get to dress up like a plastic spaceman and help people in need. That's a win-win. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, I, I also love kind of the the details that you've added to some of your costumes or maybe specifically the Rebel one. You you put Appa yeah. uh, and OKCU and Arabesh on the helmet. That's so much fun. You're the first uh, one to notice that. It's been on my helmet for two years and no one's ever mentioned that. So, it's so. it's become like this thing where if I see Arabesh, it's like, well, now I have to like take the time. I'm getting better and better at reading it, but... Uh, it's almost a challenge anytime it pops up. Bravo. Um, so I think that's a good time to transition into. So what is it like going from, yeah, making your own costume to getting to step into one that, uh, Lucasfilm has made for you and, uh, getting to be in the universe. How did everything with joining the Mandalorian come about? That that's serious next level. I feel like Cinderella at the ball. <laughs> Type thing you you don't believe it you're just this this huge Star Wars nerd growing up with it and suddenly you get the opportunity to be part of that universe it's just pinch me um it, it all started back like and a bunch of stuff had to happen for this to happen so you know if you if you want to subscribe to the idea of fate um it all started like 25 26 years ago when I was working at the factory theater in Toronto Ontario. Uh, and I met this young woman by the name of Deborah Chow. And for those of you who don't know, Deborah Chow is one of the directors of The Mandalorian season one. And she's also in charge of uh, a little series called Obi-Wan that's going to be, you know, is, is either sh- shooting now or it's going to be premiering soon uh, in the next year or so. So, uh, but back then, we were just a couple of like young, young adults who were just trying to, I wanted to be an actor, she wanted to be a filmmaker. And uh, we connected because we were both working at a theater that was going bankrupt, which was hilarious. And out of the blue, one day she said, hey, Paul, I'm shooting the short film. Do you want to be in it? But yeah, for sure. So we spent a day in, in, in Toronto's Chinatown. I had a trench coat and a, and a fedora. And I, I played this down on his luck uh, gumshoe who was trying to solve a, uh, some sort of case. So we spent the day of me just walking through Chinatown and talking to people. It was all MOS, no dialogue. And then she disappeared. And I didn't see Deb again for 25 years. Uh, and I was at the Unforgettable Gala in Los Angeles. I'd been invited to take part of this, this gala. And what it is, is in Los Angeles, every year, the Asian American uh, community, they, they have an award celebration for Asian, celebrating Asian Americans in media. And uh, so they invited the cast of Kim's Convenience there. And I was there. First time in LA, we're at the Beverly Hilton. I, I'm kind of in awe of the whole the whole experience of being in Los Angeles and uh, Deb jumps in front of me out of the blue and says, do you remember who I am? I'm like, yes, Deb, what the hell? <laughs> uh, and so I, you know, I was like, well, what happened to you? And she said, you know, 
the, the, the short film that I was in got her into Columbia film school and, uh, learned to become a filmmaker and then tried to direct, become a director. And she directed a few episodes of things in Canada, but the opportunities weren't here for her. So she went down South and then she started working, you know, consistently on, on shows like fear, the walking dead, like Jessica Jones, like better call Saul, you know, all these little boutique type shows that, that no one's ever heard of. No, like these, these <laughs> great things. And then she was working on the Mandalorian. And when she told me that my jaw dropped to the ground, I said, Oh my God, I just it's amazing. And she said, That's great because I've been trying to get in touch with you because Dave Filoni is a fan of Kim's convenience. And uh, he's trying to write something for you, a part for you. And I was like, golf. Really? Like, come on, pull the other one. Uh, and she was like, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Dave's wife, Anne, had discovered Kim's convenience. And she said, Dave, you got to watch this. And he, he, he ended up really enjoying the show. And, um, you know, Dave's really, Dave and Anne, they're both really, really, um, they're proponents of diversity and, and inclusivity. Uh, and it was one of those pure dumbass luck things that they, they happened to see the show that I was in and they liked it. And then there was that connection with Deb and then, you know, it, it was like two degrees of separation type thing. And she said, when, she, when Deb told me that Dave was trying to write something for me, I, I grabbed her elbow and I said, you do realize I have like seven or eight <laughs> Star Wars cosplays at home. And I showed her my Instagram page where I had some of my 501st approved costumes. And she said, oh, my God, send these to me. I'm going to send them to Dave. And so I did. And she did. And he texted back right away and said he could just show up in his costume. <laughs> I have to go to wardrobe. Um, and that's how it all kind of started. I went and uh, I had to go. I had to go back home the next day. She invited me. Said, "What are you doing tomorrow?" I said, "I got to go back home." But three weeks later, I came back to Los Angeles just to visit the set, and um, I didn't realize how big a deal it was because they'd closed off the set. Uh, it was one of these things where it's like no visitors. Uh, this has got to be completely secretive. Mm -hmm. But it helps when Dave Filoni wants you to be a guest. And so he worked it so that I could be there, which was, I, I didn't realize this until afterwards. And I'm tremendously grateful for that opportunity. So I got to visit and I met John Favreau um, and I watched them shoot that one scene. Uh, it was in um, uh, the hangar bay in Moss Eisley and Amy Sedaris was in it. And it was uh, the, the first reveal of, of baby, baby Grogu who's coming down. And I saw it and I thought, what is that? Oh my God. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> ah, this is going to break the internet. And so that was tremendous. Just seeing that and seeing the volume for the first time. And that that's the, the, the 3d, um, you know, the, the, this, the, the studios they have where they're displaying a 3d environment uh, or, or a high depth environment on the screens. Um, and so that was mind blowing. And then I got to watch Deb shoot a, a couple of scenes, uh, in the other studio, and it was the one where they are all, all around the campfire. Um, uh, I think it's episode seven. And then that huge winged dragon comes down and attacks mm -hmm. them. So I got to see them do the stunts on that. And that was, that was tremendous. And then afterwards, Dave took me on a tour of the set. Um, I got to see the costume departments, the props departments, all the different things. He showed me the production offices. Uh, and I died. I was like, are you kidding me? This is, I could just drop dead. And, yeah, good life. Good life. Um, 
And then, you know, I went home and I was, it was kind of like, oh, I, I can't believe that kind of happened. It was a big whirlwind. Um, a few months later, uh, Deb, she's in town for, uh, we fast forward and it's like September and there's a Toronto Film Festival going on and, and Deb's in town visiting. And we have lunch together and she's like, you know, Dave, he's still trying to write something for you. And I keep telling him it's got to be bigger, not this, it's got to be more. And, uh, you know, that's great, but it's killing me. <laughs> you know it's like saying we're you know we've got we've got a big surprise for you and we keep trying to make it bigger but, yeah and, you know and for me it's like i get how the industry works and there's bet there's best intentions where you kind of go you know we, we have you in mind we, we want to work with you but i understand that a lot of times it doesn't work out for whatever reason scheduling um you know studios want something different it's a business so i get it uh and so imagine my surprise in october when my my agent calls and says, so Lucasfilm is asking for your availability. <laughs> and uh, that was it. That was that. That's what started it. Um, and it, it was, it was tremendous because uh, I said yes right away. I had no idea what the role was going to be. Uh, they have code names for all the, for all the parts. And my code, the code name was foodie. Pilot. And I was like, foodie pilot. He's, <laughs> tracks like what i you know i was trying to be so literal with it and no idea and uh funny story was they said um because i was trying to find out what the character was uh, my agent said well they apparently john and dave like to tell the actors uh, personally what the roles are going to be like so i'm like okay so he'll call you but oh that's so weird <laughs> that is so weird john favreau is going to call me okay and um uh, one night, and I've told this story before, and I'm going to tell it again because it's it's a great story. Uh, I missed the call because, <laughs> because I was eating KFC. <laughs> uh, my family and I, we were having, I, was, I wasn't like sitting there in my underwear eating a bucket of chicken. We had ordered KFC, which is a, it's a guilty pleasure of mine, and I was actually serving it out to my kids, and my phone was down. I was about to sit down and start eating when I, you know, I just checked my phone. I'll say. And of course, John saying, Hey, we missed you. You know, give us a call back. I was like, Ugh. so I had the call back, but it was awesome because he filled me in on, on who Carson Teva was. Uh, and uh, he didn't have a last name at that point. And he described him as he's, he's kind of like a traffic cop. He's there. They've got a lot of territory. He gives the, uh, to cover um, it's the new Republic and this is the outer rim. And they're kind of like the U S marshals. They got a lot of ground to cover and very, very limited manpower. And so he's there. They're doing a sweep for giving Mando a really, really hard time. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I <laughs> love that. Um, and then it happened really, really fast. They got me a, a work visa to fly down. And before I knew it, I was, I was down in Los Angeles. And uh, right after I landed, they whisked me away to the studios to get fitted for my wardrobe. Um, and that, that's a whole other fantastic story. <laughs> I... I please oh yeah i'd love to hear it again i've heard it but like everyone tagged me in this story because right oh is that i've <laughs> this is a uh, my, my my wife got this for me for my birthday a while back i mean i just i love bigs so everyone's like you have to hear this story <laughs> yeah uh so they're uh for 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 a flight suit a rebel flight suit 
Um, and it was tailor made. They got my measurements and they they made it from scratch. They built it, and it was just it's beautiful, right? Because whenever people know when you get something tailored to your measurements, it's it's going to be boss. And so I have it on, and then there's a story of, and I love this because it just was just the convergence of so many things in my life at that moment. The the two wardrobe people were fantastic. Just and i was looking at them kind of kind of going well you guys they hadn't quite built it yet and they're trying to figure out how to rig it together and how the leg holes went and whatnot and um they were very uh not apologetic but they they were saying hey you know like we we love our jobs we're good at our jobs but we're star trek fans and so this stuff is kind of it's a little bit different for us no 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 there's no i was just happy to be in the room and then I said, hey, you know what, guys? If you don't mind, I actually have photos of this. Co- I built this costume, and I've got all these photos of how this ejection harness is sort of constructed and how it's attached. If you want to use them, go ahead. And they were they were over the moon. They said, yeah, great. So we worked <laughs> together. And then finally, we got the costume, and it looks it looks amazing. Uh, I'm in it, and I, you know, I, I can't believe it. I'm, I'm dressed as a pilot, a Rebel, Rebel Alliance pilot. And then they said, okay, well, we need to take a reference photo of you in full kit, but we don't have your helmet because it's being repainted right now. So we've got this placeholder for you instead. And they pull out this Rubbermaid bin and they open it up and I look inside and I see this helmet and it's got, you know, it's got Biggs's, uh, the the emblems on it. And I I recognize it right away. I'm like, is that, that's, that's big Starklighter's helmet. Yeah. How'd you know? It's like, (laughs) um, and I, I, I look at it and say, is that, the real thing though because it looked old it was like old old <laughs> the, the foam on the inside was all yellowy and kind of crumbly it, it it looked like it, it had seen some action and he said yeah it's it's the actual thing and you know they, they they gave it to me and i could see Derek, uh no um garrick hagon like the name in there and then it, it just kind of hit me and they said put it on and i was like are you, are you kidding me to see i i saw that i recognized the helmet and i was not expecting to actually wear on my head something that i had seen on the screens all those years ago over 40 years ago and to have that piece of living history on my head and i just i started to cry uh, and they took the picture and i begged i said look I, i'm going to keep this for myself can i just please have a photograph for myself so i actually have a picture of myself <laughs> with with big helmet on um and full out crying in it uh and that's that's like i there there's so many moments in this journey that i thought couldn't top it and every next moment kept doing that um and as a fan you don't realize how lucky we all are uh to have something like this that we can love and then we can complain about and argue about and this and that. I think the one thing that sort of unites us is is a passion for for how it affects our imaginations and what it's meant to all of us in our lives. But for me in that moment, to be able to sort of studying and, and learning cosplay and, and, and everything finally just sort of like having that focus in that, that moment where 
we kind of go, well, there you go, kid, put it <laughs> on, you know, you're coming in. Um, yeah. I felt like Rudy about to go into the football game. <laughs> Me and coach. So it was, yeah, I, I still, I, and I still can't believe it. I, I can't, you know, I'm, and I'm just, and I've been really, really happy uh, with the support. Like so many people have been, so, were so happy for me. Um, and that meant a lot too. Um, because this, this, I, I like to see the, the best part of the Star Wars community is the community itself and the support that we like to give each other. And so when one of us wins and gets to do that, I, I think we all kind of win in that way too. And I was, Am I cutting in and out? Uh, just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> just right, right at the end there, you you cut out. <laughs> Such a pointed moment. No, um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and then that, and then that, you know, the next thing I knew, they said, uh, you know, we want to take you to set. JF wants to talk to you. And I was, I was like, who's who's JF? <laughs> John Favreau. Holy shit. Okay. And so <laughs> he drive me to to the set, and um, I'm watching and. <laughs> looking at it and like we're in the studio lot we weren't in the volume uh they shoot other things in this they have a studio lot about a mile away from from the indoor studios and um they've recreated the entire town of navarro right there it's just stunning and they have the other sets too they had uh the sets from tatooine uh, as well like the the cantina we're called vanth um and mando are, are in i had no idea what that was at the time. Like I knew it was on Tatooine. I knew it was a cantina, but I, it wasn't the cantina. Mm-hmm. Isley. And so it was great. Cause John, he, he took me for a tour of all the different sets and we nerded out over different things. And, um, you know, I was just gushing gratitude. <laughs> I was like, thank you so much. <laughs> like, I, I'm sorry. I'm not usually. Or, you know, uh, the kid who's allowed to go into Willy Wonka's factory or into Santa's workshop in the North pole for the first time. Um, that's how I felt. And, and John was super cool. And he said, Hey, you know what? Uh, that's awesome because this is, this is, they work with it every day and they love seeing actors or other professionals come in and just react that way because it reminds them of why they're doing it and, and what keeps them happy. Um, and he said, look, I also want to use, happen um so it was again and then he gave me a, a challenge coin which is awesome the, the challenge coin is like oh my god he pulled that out of his wallet which was like a george costanza wallet which is hilarious <laughs> i thought and then he pulled it out and was like are you kidding me and it, it was it had the mandalorian script on it and of course the first thing i did when i got back to my hotel room was like i deciphered it uh-huh. like, like, okay so what does this mean and this was before season one had even aired and it said this is the way and I thought, what does that mean? <laughs> hey, okay, that's interesting. Anyways, that's so, yeah. so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, what what was it to like? Let's just keep the next step. So now you're you're in costume, you're in character. What's it like to sit in the cockpit of an X-wing? So the first time I was there. Uh, was for the episode that Carl directed, and that was episode four. And I was decidedly nowhere near next wing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that was interesting, too, because Carl 
was like he's OG. Like he is every bit of that icon from the eighties. And he you look at it, there's a there's a quiet intensity that and a and a confidence that exudes from him. And he he really does, he's this guy that you look at him, you go. And uh, I remember because I made the mistake of, well, not a mistake. It was crew lunch. And uh, I, I was there and he was sitting there at a table by himself. And I thought, he's going to be directing me. Our scene is together. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm an award-winning Canadian actor. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to go over. I'm going to say hi. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to have lunch with Carl Weathers. And I went up. I had my tray and I felt like such a douche nozzle. But I was like, I came up and said, hey, do you mind if I, if I sit down and have lunch with you? And he's eating and he's working in his head on the next shots. And immediately I'm like, oh shit, why did you do that? Just you should just left the man alone. And he looks up at me and he's chewing his food and he he does the coolest thing. He kicks the chair out in front of me <laughs> on the other side and he sco- him halfway down. He says, just as long as you don't expect a conversation. <laughs> and I kind of Half frozen, I thought, oh, fuck. I'm such an idiot. So I sat down and I thought, I'm not going to say a word to it. I'm just going to eat my lunch, be pleasant. I'm going to finish and I'm going to leave. That's it. Um, so we ate in silence for a while. And then he looked at me and he was like, so whose friend are you again? And I was like, uh, Dave's? He's like, huh, okay. And we were quiet and I'm thinking, oh, man. And now, now he thinks I'm just some sort of like a a sycophantic sort of hanger on or whatever. Who's got no skill, no game. And then he kind of opened up and he's like, where are you from? Like, where, what's your heritage? And I explain, I'm Korean Canadian. He goes, Oh, you look like an old friend of mine. Did you ever hear of a guy named Pat Morita? Like, yes. Um, and you know, that was, that was kind of my first time meeting Carl and he was, he's tremendous. Uh, and I won him over because we, we had to shoot that scene. It was that scene with Cara Dune. Um, and uh, with Gina Carano, and it was probably one of the most nerve-wracking scenes I've had to shoot because it was everybody's there, they're they're watching you, and they're like, "Who the hell is this guy?" And I'm in there, and and I I could not have had a more supportive scene partner. Gina was tremendous. She was very very, um, you know, she 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 was very open. She she gave a lot as a scene partner, which was awesome. And then I got a lot of redirects from Carl and then from John, and and really they 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 were able to sort of get the performance that they wanted. And at the end it was, it was kind of cool. Cause it was like, I passed the test. You're like, okay, he's got some game. He's got some, crap. <laughs> you know, the next, and then, so the next day it was like, way it was so much more relaxed. Uh, I think people were a little bit worried that, you know, this, this guy, this friend of Dave's was going <laughs> to everything up. Right. So when I came back in February to fly in the X-Wing, I was just like, Hey man, I've been through this. I love this. I I can. I'm waiting now to get into the to the to the cockpit, and uh, they used. Um, it was from uh, Rogue One, the mm-hmm. same cockpits that they used for it. And like it's, it's. I mean, come on. It, the details tremendous, right? Like they have the the long version. It's not the full Starfighter, obviously, but we had to climb up a ladder to get to it, like the flight ladder, and you had to climb in and try not to step on any of the controls, uh, and break it. But like all the lights are practical. They had little slots where they could, uh, I mean, they cheat a little bit. They use smartphones, right? So the screens, but then they, they cover it over so they can have video displays kind of happening there. But the switches all worked. 
Uh, there was a, a flight stick with a, a, and immediately I'm looking, I'm going, okay, okay, that's the targeting computer. And I'm, I'm working out all the different controls. And then the, the canopy opened and closed. And they had an R2 unit behind me. Um, and uh, I loved it. I was there because I'm in my, and I'm sweating because it's hot and I'm nervous, mm -hmm. but I'm still sort of like, yeah, it's like, this is, this is it. This is what I want. And we're in the volume and the guys who are working the, the, they call it the brain bar. They start, they start messing with the star field and the, the star field starts to do this. And I know I'm not moving, but every other sense in my body is telling me you're being violently thrown back. Yeah. I'm like, ah, and Peyton Reed, who's directing the episode goes, yeah, I know it can be a little bit. It can be a little bit disorienting. If you start to feel sick, just focus on a point inside the cockpit and just stare at that. Try to ignore what's going on outside. Um, and that was just like, okay, okay. That was great. But I mean, Talk about an immersive experience. You're there. They've got a projection of the, the, the Razor Crest to my right. And to the right of that is the other X-Wing with Trapper Wolf's, um, who, who Trapper Wolf is piloting. Um, as a performer, it's all right there. You don't have to like act to a tennis ball or to a blank screen. Like It's there, which is great. Um, and I, I didn't want to get out. You know, I kind of felt like... I, I, part of me wanted to screw up a bunch of times just so we could just keep going. But in between takes, I'm like, I'm, I'm flying, making noises and, and reenacting the trench run. Um, and then when we did the chase sequence uh, on Malto Creed, uh, you know, it was just like, it's better than any ride at any amusement park you're on because it, it's going like they have the digital background going and you're you're reacting to it and and i'm getting direction from peyton saying okay you really lean into it and you're really feeling the g's on this one and it's it's neat because we we haven't really seen an x-wing perform in an atmosphere before it's always been space battles so in an atmosphere it's got like that whole idea of the physics of an actual aircraft as it as it's cutting through an atmosphere um and i know x-wings they have inertial dampeners and stuff like that so if you wanted to you could play it where it, none of that should affect you um but it's so much fun to play the idea that he's got the, the dampeners turned down so he can feel what the craft is doing. While they, you know, I love that. That's the kind of pilot Carson is. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I just, I just love that. You know, that <laughs> it's so much fun. Like I said, nerd. And you know, and it's, it's that whole idea too. Cause that's how I think in the novelization, that's how Porkins dies. He's got his inertial dampeners turned up so high. He doesn't realize he's in that huge, massive dive. To pull and he can't pull out in time because he has no idea that you know his 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 X-wing is going down like that. And so when Big's young pull up, he doesn't realize that like he's he doesn't have the space to 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 pull out of it, and that's why he explodes. <laughs> um, so like that's that's the next level sort of like deep cut nerdy things that I sort of kept to myself. Uh -huh. There, but it all informs your choices. And unfortunately, we didn't use a lot of those uh, a lot of the footage that we shot. Um, uh, chasing uh, the razor crest, but man, that was so much fun to do. That was so much fun to do. Do do you have, or or maybe they gave you, and then you probably can't say. But is there backstory for Carson? Did did they, <laughs> or, or do you have your own head cannon for it? Did you make anything up? Yeah, no. There's there's no. I mean, if they have one, they haven't told me about it yet. Uh, he didn't even have a last name uh, until after we'd shot it and it was great because Dave texted me and said, what do you think of this last name of Teva? I was like, uh, sure. 
But that's great. And I went, thank you so much for even asking me. He's like, no, no, we want to make sure that you're happy. I'm like, dudes, I'm so happy already. You could have called called him Carson Garbage Knocker. And I would have, <laughs> right? Like, it's just like, it's one of those things where we go, yeah, man, like I got to play in your sandbox. And, I, you know, I, I'm just beside myself. So, yeah, there was no real backstory to him uh, other than the stuff that's in the script. Like, we knew he served during Alderaan. Um, whether he was actually part of any of the main battles, like the Death Star, the battle against uh, on Yavin 4, whether he was part of the Hoth defense, whether he was part of um, uh, the, the final assault on the second Death Star on Endor, or whether he, he participated in the, the Battle of Jakku. They don't, they, they've left it open, which is cool. And I asked Dave, and he said, well, it's a big universe. And not everybody fought in all the battles and stuff. Um, and immediately my mind started to go because I'm a comedian. I thought, well, he's the guy that, for whatever reason, has always missed the big battles. And he's pissed. <laughs> he's super pissed. Like, he just missed the Battle of Yavin because he had a bad power converter and his X-Wing couldn't take off. And on Hoth, you know, again, he was just, he was part of the, he was, had to protect the transport. So he didn't get a chance to really fight the ground forces. And in, in Return of the Jedi, he was like, he had diarrhea in the Outer Rim or whatever. And so he couldn't make it. And so I, I kind of, I, I was joking about that. And Dave was like, hey, no, um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's cool. I, I love the fact that he is uh, obviously he's an older pilot um, and he's been around the block. And I love that they wrote in the fact that he, he knows enough that he can't be slavish to the, to the actual letter of the law that in order to succeed uh, in the outer rim, they got to play in the gray areas a lot and he he's smart enough to realize that and let mando go and try to get local support from from all the different systems because they can't do it by themselves um yeah so that's that's kind of cool playing that that type of a role that tired sort of vet who nobody really listens to um yeah he's that beat cop that knows that knows the ground and uh, the players change but he knows the game and, he, and he's trying to, to survive out there um I, I love that about him. There's, there's something yeah. really sort of uh, romantic about that idea of this this guy that's just there. He's been there for a while. What is Trapper Wolf like as a wingmate? <laughs> <laughs> He's great. He's great. Um, he is. I mean, I, I don't know any of his backstory. I teased Dave about it because in the first season, it was you know obviously it was Rick, Deb, and Dave playing you know cameos as as the the, the New Republic fighters. And he gives Deb a hard time because if you look at that episode, they talk, she just goes in on her own. Nobody commands her. They said, oh, it looks like they're launching something. She goes, I'm in it. And she goes in and she starts right away on a strafing run. And so they always joke and they go, oh, it's slow down there. Like nobody ever gave you any orders, Sash, Sash Kettle. And so I think the original idea was for Deb to be my wingmate uh, in, in that episode. But she was busy with... Um, with Obi-Wan, obviously. And then she also said, Dave, you can't put all the Asians together all the time, right? Like, <laughs> so, and uh, so it was fun because Dave wanted to, um, it, it, it was a chance for us to hang out a little bit too. Now he's super busy. Uh, but I, and so I totally appreciate the fact that, uh, you know, he took the time out of his schedule to, to come and play in that episode because he hates <laughs> being in front of the camera <laughs> that's we, we've been joking that like I, I hope it's a running gag that just trapper keeps showing up and it's like john's just shoving him in an x-wing cockpit like get back in there it's great and you know uh with peyton too he's he's a huge fan of this of of, of star wars as well 
And it, it's a lot of fun because when you're working with people who obviously love the source material and love the universe and have a sense of humor and know not to take things too seriously, it just, you know, it, it makes storytelling that much more fun to do because it is, again, we're telling an adventure story. Uh, it's steeped within lore that we all are familiar with and love. And, but we're not above, or it's not above us poking fun at it and, and realizing that, Hey, what we do, we're so blessed and we're so lucky. And it's just like, how can you not have fun shooting star Wars? So, yeah, you know, instead of getting caught up in the importance of it. And I think that's part of the reason why the Mandalorian is so successful is they don't take themselves too seriously. I mean, it's a serious business and they want to tell a great story, but they're doing something that they love. And I think that's evident and you can see it stamped on every episode. It's not like somebody's begrudgingly directing an episode or like acting in a, in a series. Everybody's in it because they love it. And that's fantastic. Like that's lightning that's, in the bottle. Yeah. I, I keep thinking about something that Taika Waititi said in the, in the gallery uh, behind the scenes thing last year, he said that, yeah, star Wars doesn't take itself too seriously, but it does believe in itself. And like, that has just stuck with me so hard. That, yeah, you can have an episode where a frog lady and a frog man are hugging and it's like, this is the most emotional I've ever been. <laughs> yeah, no, it's touching. And uh, and I love that. Uh, Dave also said something, too. He said it was the whole idea of do you go photorealistic or do you go believable? And mm -hmm. he says, always go believable. People will forget any sort of shortcomings of anything if if they believe in it. And that's what I love. It's like they create believable characters, believable scenarios that people can relate to. And so you, you kind of go, yeah, frog people, but they love each other. And you can tell they love each other. Um, it's great. It's great. So what was it like as the, as they finally started to come out your episodes, just seeing the reaction to it, people, I, I think Carson has had an overwhelmingly positive response. Uh, how has that felt just to see yourself on screen uh, and feel uh, that? I, I was really nervous. To be honest, I, I didn't know because I had no idea how any of it was going to really look or how people were going to react to my character. Um, and my phone, I woke up to my phone because I'm on uh, uh, East Coast time and people in the West Coast, it, it drops for them at like midnight. And that's <laughs> three in the morning for us. Right. But about 345 to four o'clock, my phone, I guess, was receiving all these messages. And it, you know, I woke up at about five and I had hundreds of notifications and messages and texts from friends from the, from the, from the West coast and from fans and on all my socials and my, my accounts suddenly started to increase in sudden like followers and, and likes and stuff like that. And it was just, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. And I got swept up and I have to apologize for people because I did kind of drop a bunch of spoilers by retweeting people's tweets and stuff like that, um, that I was appearing in it. And it was a big, you know, it, Kim's convenience, they call it a sneak attack. <laughs> yeah yeah and so i i got i i kind of i felt really bad about that i was like oh no i'm sorry i just got swept up in the moment i didn't mean to ruin it for anybody um but it was yeah i mean so tremendous my family we have uh, a ritual fridays friday mornings um you know when the mando episode drops everybody we, we try to watch before school and so everybody gets up super early and everybody's got to get ready so you got you know shower you know, brush your teeth, have your breakfast, do all this, get your, get dressed, have your school stuff ready to go. And then we only then we sit down and we'll watch it. And only if the episode is, 
is short enough. And there's some mornings where people sleep in, but it's like, oh, the episode's only 33 minutes long, so we can still do it. Um, but we will watch the episode as a family together. And so sitting there and watching it with my kids um, was, it's it's an amazing experience. It's just, I, I was so nervous. And my kids were like, they were cheering and whooping and hollering and, and jumping up and down. And going, that's dad, that's dad, look at that, look at that. And it was shh, quiet, quiet. And we, <laughs> and we listened to it. And by the end, we're like, can we rewind it? We want to watch that part again. And that for me was just like, okay, I did it right. It wasn't like, dad, let's fast forward to the next, next bit and see what happened. Um, and it was great because I, you know, my kids believed it. They believed it and they loved it and they're, they're biased, but it's, it's like, <laughs> also my, my, my eldest is a teenager and he'd rather die sometimes than acknowledge my existence. Right. And so for him to kind of go, dad, you really, you did a great job, um, meant everything to me. Um, and, and so, that was so surreal. And then just watching it again, because I hadn't seen it and it was hard to believe here. I am sitting in my living room in Toronto, Ontario. And there I am in a galaxy far, far away, finally sort of realizing my dreams of being part of that universe. Uh, and, and I didn't look out of place. If that makes any sense, you know, I, I didn't. Not at all. Yeah. Hey, he be- I, I believe it. I believe that I, I, you know, that this guy's, part of the new Republic and he's been around the block a few times. Like I believe that. So that was really cool. That was really cool. And I mean, it's still kind of continuing because they've announced stories like uh, Rangers of the new Republic and rogue squadrons. And like, I feel like that Rangers show, especially it's right there at the same timeline. Like, yeah, Oh, your lips to God's ears, right? Like <laughs> fingers crossed and everything. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, it's just, for me, it's like, well, the odds are good. Right. Because if my character, unless the, you know, like if my character's still around and you know they've he's been in two episodes, he's he's played a uh, not a huge part, but like a little bit of a pivotal moment. Like he's that scene with Cara Dune where he offers her the badge, and she she turns him down at first, but then he reminds her of you know, hey, you're from Alderaan, right? You lost everybody, right? Here's your chance to do something about it. And so, and she's wearing it the next time we see her. Uh, I I love that idea of 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 him just sort of popping in from time to time. So fingers crossed, we'll see what happens. Um, and I, I certainly wouldn't say no. <laughs> I didn't think you would. <laughs> uh, we're, we've been going just about an hour, so I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I, I do want to just talk about Kim's convenience oh. real quick. Because like, I, I think that uh, my wife and I, uh, Molly and I, we got into Kim's convenience like right after uh, that episode aired, uh, the, the Peyton Reed Spider one. Um, we, we'd heard about Kim's convenience for so long. And then we were like, this sounds like a good excuse to finally watch it. And we blew through it. It's so funny. It's so like heartfelt. Um, but I just thought, what would you say to star Wars fans? Since this is, uh, that's who's going to be listening to this to, to encourage them to watch Kim's. Yeah. We you know for all the reasons that you said, uh, Kim's convenience is, um, it's like putting on a nice warm sweater. Uh, when it's cold out, it's comforting, it's good humor, it's funny, but it's not your standard run-of-the-mill sitcom. It's got a lot of heart to it. Uh, it deals with a lot of uh, family dynamics, and you might not be Korean in your heritage, but you will understand the relationships between uh, parents and their children and vice versa. Um, the writing is tremendous. The performances are great. You get to see me as a character who's completely unlike Carson Teva, Um and it's been interesting because, you know, 
uh, a lot of fans of Kim's Convenience started watching The Mandalorian just because they heard, oh my God, Appa's on, on Kim's Convenience. But the reverse is happening too. Kim's has gained a lot of fans because of, oh my God, Carson Taylor, he's on this other show called Kim's Convenience. Let's check it out. And it's it's been a great sort of mutual, mutual beneficial society um, turn of events that's happened. So Kim's Convenience, again, uh, it, it's it's something that sort of gave me the opportunity to be on The Mandalorian. So if you want to check it out, I would love that. And I think you might just stick around. And like you said, Alex, it is supremely bingeable. It's like eating potato <laughs> chips. You just can't have one episode. You gotta. You can just start mowing them down. And before you know it, you've blown through an entire season. Uh, is there any like competitiveness between you and Simu? Because now you're in Star Wars and he's in the MCU. So you're no, trying to one up each other. <laughs> No, we're both so uh, so happy for each other. Uh, when we heard that, when Simu told me that he had booked the role of of Shang Chi, we were so so proud of him. And um, he's been working his ass off for the last year, just shooting that, and during the pandemic and all the delays and stuff. And then coming back and him shooting season five of Kim's Convenience uh, was tremendous. I mean, the, he his work ethic was unparalleled, and he really brought it. Um, he is. He was so happy to hear that I was in Star Wars. He knows what a fan I am of Star Wars, just like I know how much of a fan he is of the Marvel superhero universe. And so it, it's this both. It, it's this great sort of like mutual admiration society where we're like, hey, and we get to sort of trade stories back and forth of being on set. Um, and of course, I mean, his experience is going to be is so much bigger because as the lead <laughs> on a superhero movie where you have the first. Asian superhero-led sort of cast and story uh, is a tremendous thing, and we're all excited for. It. I think it's premiering in July of 2021 now, and uh, we can't wait. It's just I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what he brings, and uh, we're all rooting for him. Well, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. This was so much fun. I wish that we could just keep going, talk about Battlestar Galactica for another hour and stuff, but. Anytime, Alex, honestly, this is like, I, and I keep saying it's the best interviews are the ones where you just feel like you're talking with friends. And, you know, I'm, I'm open. Like, if you want to have me back, I'll talk about Battlestar Galactica. I'll start, I'll talk about Star Trek. I'll talk about any of that stuff. I love it. And, hey, I, I apologize for not being able to play Star Wars Squadrons with you. Uh, I'm at the noob level right now for everybody. My kids have been hogging the game system. Uh, <laughs> I got a little bit of time. And so I, I don't want a poor showing because... You know, as a new, as a representative of the New Republic, Starfighter. Oh, sure, of course. And we're in the briefing room this time. Uh, <laughs> maybe sometime down the line, we'll we'll hop in the cockpit together. I'd love to to be Carson's wingmate. Uh, but but for now, uh, just thank you. Where where can people follow you online on Instagram everywhere? Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Bitter Asian Dude. Again, that's Bitter Asian Dude. Um, I have a YouTube channel called Bitter Asian Dude Inc. Dube. Oh my gosh. Bitter Asian Dude Inc. Uh, I do a lot of unboxings. It's it's for me, it's reviews and unboxings. Um, I want to sort of embrace the geek part of my life as well. A lot of people know me as Appa and I want people to know me as, as who I am because I think a lot of people are surprised that I'm such a nerd. Um, and uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at AngryAppa uh, and I have a website, BitterAsianDude.com uh, You can visit that um, we're, we're trying to get things rolling and, and uh, sort of get the word out there and celebrate all things geeky and build that community of, of mutual respect and, um, you know, helping each other out during these tough times. Uh, I'll put links to all of those uh, down in the description. So please 
do check them all out. Uh, this was so much fun, such a joy. Uh, I, I really hope we see Carson some more. But uh, for now, thank you all for watching and hanging out with us, and may the Force be with you. Okay, see you.